Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views somewhere around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's 2019. Hey, guess what? You know, what? whenever you were here in town, um, whenever you lived here, I, I think they probably had the big New Year's celebration down on Lower Broad. Yes, they did. And everything, and they'd set up and everything was rocking down there. Well, they've moved it, Amy. They've moved it to Bicentennial Mall. No way. It's always at the riverfront. Well, the last two years they moved it because the crowds got too big and people oh, couldn't move around. Yeah. And they were jammed in between in the, the streets, buildings and the people yeah. that had the and, and the people that had the the uh, the honky tonks and everything, they didn't like it because there was no traffic. It right. was just the same people just sitting in there. So they didn't like that. So they moved it to Bicentennial Mall, which folks the mall is not a mall like you think. Shopping mall is think it's like the Washington big, the mall in Washington. Yes. Yes, the big that, lawn. A big open area. Right. Big lawn. All right, so if you know where Bicentennial Mall is, Amy, you know where the Lifeway building is. I do. And basically, we have a perfect view <gasps> of Bicentennial Mall. Yes, you do. So did you go up? You went to the Lifeway I building. I did. I went and sat in the Lifeway building right outside my office and watched the fireworks and rang in a new year on Monday night. That that sounds really fun. What it a, was fantastic. What a treat. I had no traffic, no people. Nothing. It was great. It was fantastic. That's really cool. Very nice. Well, um, I'm going to show my age here and t- tell you that I rang in the new year completely asleep because I had gone to bed at like 1030 because I could, I just was exhausted. I just, that was it. So I, I missed everything, um, but had a great new year. Uh, we're in that stage where we're we're kind of tired. We just go to bed, but then our kids are beginning to, you know, it's teenagers, like, it's kind of cool and exciting to stay up, and so uh, they were very tired, um, but I was quite rested for New Year's Day. Yeah. Well, New Year's Day was kind of a culmination of three late nights. I had a Preds game on Saturday night, the Titans game. I went up with a ticket to the Titans game, which was quite disappointing, on Sunday night, and then uh, Monday night, I was out you know, for New Year's Eve. So three nights in a row at midnight or after for me. And by Tuesday, I was like a zombie. So, yeah, because I'm not used to that. Right. I'm an old man. <laughs> it was a bit of a change, but it was good. It was fun. It was a fun weekend. Got to spend a lot of time with the kids and with the family. So that was, that was great. Very fun. Well, good. So uh, it's the first week of 2019. And uh, this is kind of a cool episode. It's one of my favorites. Yes, and I trust you had a good Christmas. We haven't recorded since Christmas. We recorded our, our Christmas week episode before. I guess you had a good Christmas. It was, and we, we actually got to see each other. We, we had dinner. Our families had dinner together. Yeah, so all the kids and um, Beth, Keith, my parents, everything had uh, some, some Middle Tennessee catfish. And so that was a lot of fun, great time in our visit there. But I had a, we had a wonderful Christmas. So a good bit of, good bit of traveling, but still a great, great time. Yeah, same here. All right. Well, before we jump into this week's episode, the first of 2019, we do want to thank our sponsor each and every week here on SBC This Week, located in Louisville, Kentucky. The Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. Amy, uh, I've seen a lot of pictures from uh, Southern from uh, and the other seminaries as well at the Cross Conference this week. So yes. seeing that the uh, training future pastors and missionaries and gospel leaders, that's been very encouraging this week. Uh, some of the pictures that have come out of the cross conference, 
uh, and the Southern Baptist, uh, you know, representation that we have there. Yeah, New Year's is always a kind of an, a fun time to watch Twitter because the cross conference is happening, uh, passion is happening. You really get to see a lot of college students that are starting out their year by, you know, kind of committing themselves to missions or to uh, are committing themselves to a life on mission. And uh, that's that's an exciting thing to see. It is. It is. Okay, so this is our first episode of 2019. And like every year, uh, we take some time here uh, to talk about some questions. So, Amy, I want you to give us a rundown of what led to these questions uh, you know, where we're going with these, kind of how this is similar and maybe even different than some of the questions that we've asked in the past. And then we'll get to the top 10 questions that we have for the SBC in 2019. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've worked on this for, for several weeks. We've done this type of episode before. And, but a lot of times our questions have been very general. Um, just kind of like, Hey, what's the new year going to bring? How will there be changes here? Will there be there? Um, but I, I think our questions probably got a little more specific this year because 2018 was such a year in transition. Um, a lot of the transitions are really not over. I mean, we're kind of waiting to see what comes of them. And so I see 2019 as a year of a lot of change, just like the one we've had the past year. Now, as always, I'll be very intrigued when we get to the end of this, when we look back and say, man, there were questions we should have been asking that we had no idea about, such as life with, with all of us. Uh, but I think we did kind of narrow down on some very specific, legitimate questions that we have going into this year. Yeah, and if 2018 was a year of transition, 2019 might be a year of new beginnings, Yes. Uh, you know, kind of a reset in a lot of ways. Yeah, in a number of areas. A lot of levels within the, you know, convention structure. Um, I think things that we're seeing uh, shifts happening just across the landscape of, of churches, of involvement, things like that. And, uh, and then some cultural conversations that we are really participating in right now. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. So it's, I think it's going to be an interesting year. All right. Well, let's jump into the questions. We've got 10 of them and maybe even a bonus at the end there. I see this on the list. I did not add that. Um, you, you put the bonus there. It's uh, the question so that we'll end with the question that's on everyone's minds. I, I think that's true. I think that's true. After last year, especially. Yes, but we'll keep you in suspense until we get to the end. Yes. All right. So we will start off with the question that is on everyone's mind, Amy. Question number one, who will be selected to lead our entities in 2019? Yeah, this is this is a stunning one. So the last few years when we've had a question like this, it's always been sort of general. Will we see any transition in our entities? You know, uh, like maybe we will, sort of assuming we might not, um, but not, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't feel tangible like it does right now because we have so many openings and we, we've completed one, one transition, but we still have four to go. And we're just kind of sitting and, and waiting. Our, our entities are in the hands of the trustees who have been placed there to steward those institutions. And the rest of it, we just kind of sit back here and, and wait and see. It, it's definitely the, the question that everybody's kind of wondering, you know, and we still have one that is uh, accepting resumes, I think through January 10th. I think that was the, the, the deadline for New Orleans. Yeah, I, I can't believe. remember. 
you know, they're they're kind of further back in the process. They got a little bit longer to go because Dr. Kelly will be there until the end of July. Right. So, um, you know, New Orleans, we expect to be one of the, the last to fill the opening there. Um, I, I think we're close to hearing something maybe this early spring from both Southwestern and the executive committee. Uh, they were the first to open. Right. Um, so it would make sense that they would be the first to be filled. And at Lifeway, the indications that we've gotten is that it would be, you know, maybe sometime mid-spring. So we just, we don't really know. It's just kind of waiting and see. You know, things can change, obviously. But Amy, I think by the time we get to Birmingham, we may have this question answered. It, we could. We could. We could, or at least be very, very close. Um, but it is, it's interesting because as you and I have asked this type of question in years past, it's just been sort of out there. This time, it's... I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, I don't know if the word is apprehension approaching it, but just we really want to know the answer to this question. Yeah, there's a lot of unknown. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I would I would venture to say, as I said, we've got, I've got an honorable mention at the end that I think is the question that everyone is asking. But I would say this first question is the heaviest one. Yes. The one that weighs on everyone. And now at this time, Amy will give her predictions for all four entities. Absolutely leaders. not. <laughs> I got nothing. I I yeah, I got nothing. I will wait and okay. see. <laughs> yes, that's the smartest thing to do. So all right. So that'll lead us to question number two. How will continuing healthcare changes and new product offerings affect Guidestone? So it's something we talked about a little bit last year. Right. With the uh, the new lower cost health insurance program that they were offering. Will we see a change in the Affordable Care Act? Uh, what will Congress do with that? How that affect Guidestone? Guidestone's kind of at the mercy of the healthcare market here with their healthcare. So, you know, it's just what's that going to look like as we move through 2019 as far as healthcare and as far as what is offered to pastors and church staff from Guidestone? Right. And, and one of the things about this question um, is – for for a conversation like ours or for blog posts or for, you know, just the public square, this is not an exciting question. This is not the one you like stand around the water cooler talking about. You get into a lot of minutiae and things, but this is the one that really affects the most people where they live. Like this, this matters the most. So I, I think this is an interesting one because I don't, I don't think it, stirs up within the Southern Baptist Convention. It doesn't stir up a lot of debate. We're all sort of waiting. Um, but it is a very important question um, that yeah. that probably, you know, in this in this day and age is going to stay on our list every year because we're going to continue to see healthcare changes for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And this is the one, like you said, it impacts the pastor of the church of 80 or 90 people right. heavily right? because they can't afford, you know, all of a sudden they can't afford to pay for his insurance anymore. And now he's out of pocket $2,000 a month or whatever it may be. We've, we've heard stories. I've talked to pastors who don't know what they're going to do with healthcare insurance, you know, and whose, whose wives or maybe teenage kids are having to work more jobs or different jobs than, than they thought they may have to in the past because they can't make ends meet because of healthcare costs. Right. Um, it, it's just something every church is, seems to be struggling with, especially the smaller churches is trying to find affordable healthcare for their staff and their pastor. Absolutely. And I've, I mean, I've lived in that, uh, situation where 
you know, my husband was a pastor of a small church. Uh, really at the time when our family had the most need for good uh, health coverage, uh, both with uh, one of our kids and and with me for a season. Um, And so some of our biggest questions came at a time uh, when Guidestone was really, really important to us. I mean, we've, you know, we've worked at SBC entities and Guidestone's been uh, a, a part of those things, but those were that that's being at a big organization. Uh, but what Guidestone had to offer mattered a lot during those years. And, uh, and, and so I think there, there are a ton of Southern Baptists, uh, who are in that same situation. Uh, so I, I think this is going to be an ongoing question, even if it's not a, a controversial one or, you know, anything like that. All right. We got a couple of questions about the annual meeting and, and things involved with that. Who will be nominated for officers in Birmingham? And Amy, Amy will give her picks right here. Uh, absolutely not. Um, you can keep saying that all day, and I'm not. I, I don't lay predictions down. That's always an interesting question, and certainly we'll have that one uh, answered soon enough. Because usually people share in Baptist Press and other places if they're going to nominate someone, although it doesn't have to be that way. And a few years ago, even in Phoenix, I believe we had, you know, what, five nominees for registration secretary all coming up, you know, at the last minute. Like some of them stood up there to the podium and we didn't even know who they were going to nominate until they said the name. So it could be that we don't find out until we get there, but we'll have a first vice president, second vice president, recording secretary. John Yates has done that for years and years. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll find out, is he going to be nominated again or Don Currents, you know, others. Um, even, you know, typically this is not a year when you will see a contested presidential election, although that has happened in the past, um, in the second year for a a president, but still we've got a lot of, a lot of spots and it's always a question going into the spring. Who are we going to see, uh, being nominated up there from the stage? Yeah. A lot of times we see the every other year conventions be the the important ones you know we got to come and elect a new president or whatever it may be we saw you know kind of a lot of lead up to that in 2016 and 2018 and and you know a lot of these off year so to speak on the presidential elections conventions they don't get the attention but it's still important i mean you still got to come and vote you still got to come vote for first and second vice president and other things and I think there's this mentality out there that the every other year, the even number years right now, the cycle we're on, are more important than the odd number years. And that's not really the case. People need to be showing up and voting for all the offices every year. Exactly. I think sometimes we we think that that's kind of the major reason to attend, but we've even seen in the last few years in Phoenix, for example, a major resolution was debated during an odd year. And it mattered that people were there. But even in the elections, the vice presidential elections are important. The the recording secretary and registration secretary are important. Um, and even when the president comes in as the only one nominated for re-election, when the registration secretary casts the ballot on behalf of the convention, they're doing that knowing if no one else has been nominated, then that is the vote of the convention. So even that is an important act to be there. Uh, so I, so I, I think we have to wonder what will all of the nominations be? Who will be the next officers? Uh, but showing up 
regardless of what the year is, is really important. And speaking of the second week in June, how will the revamp schedule be received at the SBC annual meeting? Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this goes over. Um, you know, I think folks are accustomed to a sliding schedule during the day, during that eight to five time. And uh, the last few years, we've had a, a pretty similar setup each year. But for the most part, everyone just comes and looks. When is this report? When are these things? And they're used to it falling at different spots. I think the thing that will be the big adjustment is that we're not having anything in the evenings. It's been a while since it's been like that. And uh, so just seeing what people decide to do with their evenings, what happens with auxiliary events, and how people like that Uh, It will be interesting to see the feedback and what that does to uh, participation in the meeting itself and all the things around it. Well, and also the fact that there are so many Southern Baptists who are within a couple of hour drive who can drive in for the day now and not worry about missing an evening session or staying out too late or something like that. So I think it it opens up the, the availability of the convention to a lot more people knowing that, hey, we're going to be done at 5, 5.30 in the afternoon. You can still be home. You, know, you can grab dinner on the way home and still be home and sleep in your own bed and not have to worry about, you know, a late, late night and then still be able to get up the next morning and come back in. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, all of my family there will all be very busy. And uh, so it, it might be even for those of us who are staying down there, it might be a nice schedule for us. So we'll we'll see. And perhaps, it, as you said, with so many people in a, a good driving distance or in an easy driving distance from Birmingham, it, that might actually increase our participation. So I will be eager to see the effect of that. All right. Touching on something that we, we kind of mentioned in number one and the transitions. Number five, what changes will Paul Chitwood bring to the IMB, if any? This is a crucial question with any leadership transition. And uh, with the in the case of the IMB, we are moving into the Paul Chitwood era. Now, he has said uh, in some of his initial remarks and in the press conference, you know, that he really likes, he's spoken favorably of a lot of policies of the IMB, a lot of the things that they're doing. So we've gotten no signal of major, you know, drastic changes, but every leader brings their own style. They bring their own vision. And uh, so now that's something that we'll see in 2019 is, is what does the IMB look like under the leadership of Paul Chitwood. And and that's something that I'm very eager to see. I'm sure in Birmingham in particular, uh, with the commissioning service and with kind of his first time to come and report to all the messengers to answer questions, uh, that will be a big a big thing that we're looking for. So uh, very anxious to see that. Uh, That'll move us to number six. Amy, how will Southern Baptist respond to the changing political landscape in the United States? I think in some ways this is an even bigger question than we might think. Obviously, we've had a time where one party has been in the, you know, in Congress and in the uh, the White House for a couple of years now, and now we're moving into a bit more of a divided government situation um, with Democrats in the House, Republicans in the Senate, and a Republican in the White House. And so that just affects the political landscape of our country in general. And exactly how Southern Baptists uh, respond to some of the policies that come out of that, some of the debates that come out of that, uh, that, that will be very interesting. This is a time when we have, when we do have several um, public conversations about this. We have some prominent Southern Baptist leaders who serve on the President's Advisory Council. Um, we have just, we, we have had some Southern Baptists run for office. 
Um, and then we've also had a very public conversation about the presence of the vice president at the annual meeting and, uh, and, and what people think about that, the involvement and the relationship between the denomination and, uh, and, and politics. So I think that with sort of the coming political landscape of 2019 that we're already seeing play out, um, how Southern Baptists process that, discuss it, relate to it is a very, very big question. And of course, knowing that when we get to the end of this year and we start answering these questions that we ask, um, it's, it's amazing to realize how fast it's going, but we're going to be headed right into primary season for the 2020 presidential election. And so things will really be ramping up. A lot of issues will be important. Uh, so, you know, this is a question we might not think about always, but I think just looking at the times, it's one that will come into play in the months ahead. Yeah. And it'll be fascinating to see if there is a primary challenge to President Trump. Uh, what kind of discussion that will lead to. Yeah. Um, I think that that's kind of one of the big ones that, in the back of my mind that I'm kind of wondering what's that going to look like if that happens. Right. Uh, because there's, you know, there's rumors here and there about the possibility of that. We don't know what's going to happen there. But um, if that does happen, I think that's one of those things that we all kind of wonder how that will play out. Yeah. And I even sometimes I, I wonder while our convention is not, you know, officially connected to any political party. Um, there has been one over the years that in, in some particular positions, you know, ha, has has a that where some particular positions have aligned. Um, one debate that I see often on the on the side of the Democratic Party is a real push that on pro-life issues, there's not a lot of space within the party for anyone who holds to a pro-life position. And I have seen in greater discussions pushback on that within the Democratic Party, folks like like Azell Miller, you know, that things that there's no space for them anymore and a desire for there to be. So let me just throw out a question. What would happen if in the primary season, if a pro-life Democrat, because there still are some at state and local levels, if a pro-life Democrat were to step up and say, I'm going to run in the primary, you know, perhaps that would be very difficult for them to get any kind of footing in the current Democratic Party. But if they did, what what would some folks do out there with that? I think it's also a question, you know, we have third parties that seem to be trying to pop up or independents. We may have primary challenge um, in the Republican Party. What does that discussion look like? I think we are in a zone politically in the U.S. where it is anyone's guess as to what's going to happen next. Uh, there's been a certain predictability for for several years uh, that's just gone now, and uh, so I think I think that's going to be interesting um, to see how we sort of wrestle with with these questions. I think you got a better chance of a unicorn getting elected than a pro life Democrat, Amy. I didn't say they would get elected. <laughs> I said if someone decided. Even if just to make a statement, because we have third party candidates yeah, or independent candidates I, that come out. It's possible, but there's just no way. But but some pro-life candidates have run at state levels. So here's my question. It's not whether or not they would win. It's if they are on the primary ballot, does that present? It's just a question. It, it, it's always when you go into the ballot box, it's just what are you thinking and processing? And it makes me ask the questions of how that would affect 
the conversation? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it, but we, we'll maybe find out later in the year. And especially in 2020, whenever we hit the primary season and, uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire and so forth and so on. So, all right, that leads us to number seven. How will the conversation regarding abuse and assault continue to play out in 2019? And what will the Sexual Abuse Advisory Committee recommend for churches at the SBC annual meeting? Amy, I think this is the biggest question on the list uh, from a just a how Southern Baptists are seen outside of the Southern Baptist world uh, kind of view. Yeah, and I think I, I think that is very important because I think we do have a watching world on this issue. Um, I, I also think it can be easy for us just as people. Um, when a new year comes, you're like, man, that was a crazy year. Uh, I am glad that's over. Let's kind of start fresh. Um, and to sort of hope, Oh, maybe we're done having to, to really deal with and process this. Uh, no, I think I think this is a conversation we really need to just dig in and be prepared uh, to address this over the long haul. Um, I think that's part of what the advisory committee is doing. Um, but I, I don't know that we can look and I, I think this is for any industry, uh, frankly, and I think it's just for us as Americans. I, I don't think we can look and say, man, that year was rough over this issue. Glad it's glad it's over. Um, I think we have to be prepared uh, to learn more. I, I think we have to be prepared. What if more um, accusations come to the surface? What if more situations uh, come out that we didn't know about? Uh, I, I think we have to step back and, and develop a real strength to face this um, empathy uh, compassion or a real strength to face this, a real um, empathy, you know, to process uh, some of these things that are hard to face. Um, and and then I think we also have to recognize that, you know, what our advisory committee is doing is incredibly important and we've got to be ready to receive. You know, we, we have a lot of task forces and advisory committees and, you know, things throughout the years that they work on stuff, they come with a report, we listen, and then we move to the next thing. I think this one is just incredibly important. And so we've got to be anticipating um, and taking it very seriously. Uh, but I'm really eager to hear what they're going to recommend. Yes, I am as well. I mean, and, yeah, in 2018, we saw lawsuits against Southern Baptists. We saw criminal charges filed against Southern Baptists uh, in this. I, I think we're only hitting the tip of the iceberg, honestly. Uh, as far as what's going to happen in the, the the larger public space regarding this issue, it is imperative that the Sexual Abuse Advisory Committee uh, bring forth a report that offers both you know instruction for churches as well as hope and healing for victims and survivors of this. Um, so I, I have no doubt that they will do that, and I'm encouraged that we're actually having this conversation. Because I, I think it's entirely possible that in the past, if this had been 5, 10, 15 years ago, regardless of the SBC president, regardless of the leadership, I just don't think that Southern Baptists as a whole thought that this was an issue that needed to be addressed to this level. And I'm glad that we're actually getting to that point now. Um, it's taken us maybe a little bit too long, uh, but at the same time, we're there now and, and we're handling it. And, and I think President Greer is, has also handled it very well uh, in his you know six months that he's been on the job, and this has been one of the main things that he's brought forward. So I, I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged at the direction we're going. 
but at the same time, I'm not naive enough, I guess, to think that it's going to stop or we won't have any other issues come to the surface in 2019. All right, number eight, Amy, will we see an increase in diversity across all levels of convention life in 2019? Yeah, I think this is an important question that a lot of people are asking. We have, you know, a, a number of places where this could be um, presidential appointments, uh, trustee boards from the nominating committee report, um, national entities. We have, you know, all these uh, entity head openings, um, as well as at, you know, uh, next level, you know, executive teams and, and things like that. Uh, state conventions as they open up, just thinking through uh, diversity at, at 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 every point in some of these in some of these roles. Uh, obviously, we've talked a lot over the last several years thinking of minority candidates for these things, gender diversity on a lot of our committees and and uh, and boards. You know, places bringing uh, women into uh, bringing women in to participate at different levels of convention life, uh, diversity in age and church size and type, you know, just, just all kinds of things. That's been a conversation for several years. And we've had, you know, executive committee reports on this. Uh, we've had presidents who have really prioritized it through the years. And, uh, so I, I, I think we have to come to every year, and ask that question because if we don't keep it on our minds and uh, and say, you know, we value uh, diverse perspectives and and groups where you know and people working together that represent the the whole convention. Um, I think if we don't ask ourselves that question every year, we we can forget sometimes. Yes, and that is something that we have to keep on the forefront, Amy, and uh, we have to be intentional about it. Uh, diversity. And, and leadership doesn't happen accidentally a lot of times. So it's something that must be intentional and we must be committed to raising up diverse leaders and leaders from all walks of Southern Baptist life. And uh, that, that's kind of one of the, the great thing about, you know, having 16 million members or 15 million members, whatever it may be in the Southern Baptist Convention. There are a lot of different types of members and uh, it's good to see those represented in our leadership uh, across the denomination. All right. Number nine, Amy, will we break $200 million in national CP receipts this budget year? I don't know, but that would be exciting. Yes, it would. We're close. I'm telling you, we're really close. Yeah. Uh, I pulled up the numbers um, last night in preparation for this. And uh, last year in CP receipts, we gave uh, $197 million and just a little bit more. So it's like 197 044 828 and $0.14. Year before, 197, 146, which included a $3 million gift from Florida Baptist, as we talked about last week on our, our year-end recap episode. We're right there. We're, we're like we're so close. a $3 million bump in 2019 would mean that we eclipse $200 million. It's entirely possible. Uh, I was looking at the calendar year giving, and if you take the calendar year for 2018, we don't have the 2019 reports uh, yet, those will probably come out either today or Monday in Baptist Press. That's January 4th or January 7th in Baptist Press. That report for December will be out, and we'll have that number. Um, but we are at $182 million for the calendar year. And if if you had if we had like $17.65 million in December, we would have eclipsed $200 million in the calendar year. So we're getting there. It's trending that way. Um, if things continue 
we should see the $200 million mark broken once again with CP gifts uh, in 2019, 2020, somewhere in that range. So it's, it's right, we're right on the cusp. I mean, it's just that, that little bit of oomph and we could make it happen. Let's do it. Let's do it. It would be the first time since 2008 when we had 204 million. We had 205 in 2007, 200 million in 2006. So we've been there before, uh, pre economy collapse. Right. <laughs> um, right. And then, you know, we saw a really big drop from 204 million to 191 million, 186 at one point in 2014. Yeah. But from 2014 to 2018, we've increased by $11 million. So going back up, you know, it's, it's going from 190, 188 to 197 in just four or five years. So 200 million, that's not nearly out of the realm of possibility there. So that's encouraging to me. I think it's entirely possible. Um, as we see some of the Southern states continue to move and shift their numbers, I, I think we'll just kind of, it's a, a waiting game just to see when, not if, but when we will eclipse that $200 million mark. Nice. Yes. Let's do it. All right. And then our final question, number 10 here before the bonus question, will any other entities or groups in the SBC commission reports on their history of racism and slavery and how will Southern respond to its own report? Yeah, I think this is an important question. And the the first question I think matters because I, I understand why Southern did this uh, because obviously the the founding of their seminary predated the Civil War. And so there were a lot of questions sort of surrounding the positions of the founders and the and the, the faculty, what was uh, what was taught. And they were seeing there are a lot of other institutions. This is an ongoing conversation in the higher ed world. And so it, it seemed like a very, uh, very natural thing. I mean, I, I think it was a big um, a bombshell, I would say, when it when it came out, but also not a totally abnormal thing, as we watch other institutions doing something similar. However, I don't think that we, as a convention, uh, can just rest and say, "Well, it's good that Southern did that," because the truth is, you know, Southern Seminary was part of a larger uh, ecosystem. And we had other groups. We had mission boards. We had committees. We had, you know, things. If you if you start reading back in SBC annuals uh, early on, but really for 50, 60, 70 years, you know, after the, um, after the uh, beginning of the SBC, there are a lot of things that we may need to examine. I think it's a fair question to ask, uh, you know, will Southern be the only one to do a historical examination like this? Uh, because I think I think it it would not be a bad thing for a it would not be a bad thing for some broader examination. Yes, and, and we've had a we have a few entities that were around during uh, those times and would have seen that that transition from slavery to Reconstruction to civil rights movement and everything. Uh, we've had a few, you know, Lifeway eighteen ninety one. Uh, so kind of on the back right. end of Reconstruction, the Home Mission Board I think was maybe a little bit before that. Uh, they they dealt with some stuff because their task of reaching North America with missions. So right. there's some some issues there, and that with that entity's history, and then uh, well, that would have been the Home Mission Board, North American Mission Board now, and then the IMB. Right. Obviously, I mean that was the the basically start of the SBC. That one's been around the longest uh, as far as entities go. Um, so it may be something in the Foreign Mission Board, uh, which is now the IMB. Histories. Uh, I haven't looked in those, but just to ask questions, you know. yeah. And 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 
so if you think about how uh, how we sort of, uh, how all of our entities, you know, interact with the world around us, uh, that was a, a very specific world around them. And I think it's important uh, to to examine that. So so it will be interesting to see uh, if this is the only report uh, that comes or if further examination, you know, happens. And, and as you said, you know, it will Southern do anything else in response to its own report. There's a lot of conversation that, that happened in the weeks, you know, after. So that's certainly a, a question that is out there yeah. as well. Um, but I would be intrigued to see a broader scale uh, historical analysis that could come in the years ahead. That would be something that would take a lot of time. It's not, it's not anything that yeah. like someone could say, Hey, let me do this this week. <laughs> uh, it, it would be quite the undertaking. Um, but it's a, it's a fair uh, question uh, for us to ask now. Yeah. All right. And then the honorable mention question, Amy, um, since you put this here, I'm going to let you ask the question because like you said, it's the question on everyone's mind. They just yes. don't, they just don't know it maybe. Oh, but when I say it, they're going to know. Yes. Will Wiley Drake come to Birmingham? We missed him last year in Dallas. We did. He didn't come. We did. He 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 is from what I understand he chose not to attend. I think it's a, a real question will he choose to attend this year? And I hope that he does because I hope every messenger who can come will come. I hope we get 10,000 again. I recognize the the likelihood of this, but I'm going to push for 10,000 until we reach it. And I think 2020 in Orlando is very doable. Um, but I'm going to push for it in Birmingham always. And so I want Wiley Drake to come because that's just one more person showing up. Um, but he is always um, a major part of our discussion. He all, he shows up. He has his briefcase full of motions. He is ready to go. Steps up to the microphone. He stands up to be counted. And uh, so I will be very interested to see. And for most of us, a lot of us don't even know if he's here until he steps up to the microphone. Um, and I would imagine if he does, there'll be a lot of cheers yes. in the crowd. And, and Wiley is kind of emblematic of what I think you and I kind of want to see in the SBC is people who are committed to showing up, being a part of the process, and being interested and involved in what goes on. Uh, I don't know, you know, Wiley has become a caricature for some folks, but at the same time, he's a messenger from a Southern Baptist church who takes time out of his year every year to come and be involved in the process. And like, like we say here several times on the show, decisions are made by those who show up and Wiley for the most part has shown up and, and he has been part of decisions. I mean, who made the motion to boycott Disney back in the day, Amy? That was Wiley Drake. That was Wiley Drake. I mean, he has played a major part in the Southern Baptist Convention, a former second vice president of the SBC. That's a major, that is a major cultural influence within the Southern Baptist Convention and one that actually had some impact on the broader culture at the time yeah. uh, in, you know, the conversation being there. I remember because at the time I was not Southern Baptist, but I had a lot of Southern Baptist friends and it was a big thing. Like that was one of the first things I knew about uh, the Southern Baptist Convention was the Disney boycott. So this this was something that, you know, really started with one messenger who had a, a position on something. And uh, so he he so he shows up 
and I hope that we see him again uh, in Birmingham. So that was my honorable mention question. I didn't, you know, I, I we were cutting it all down. I felt like these 10 were the ones that needed to be on the list, but I could not delete that one. Yes. All right. Well, those are our questions for 2019 here in the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week. We got a, a little nugget here for you this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. So usually I take these couple of weeks off from finding, you know, kind of things back in SBC history just so that we can focus on the moment that we're in right now. Um, but we actually did have something uh, in the last couple of weeks that, uh, that really was, you know, a, sort of a key moment, and that was uh, the death of Bill Tolar. Uh, so he was uh, someone who uh, really just was kind of a giant in the SBC and at Southwestern Seminary. Um, he was there for more than 30 years. He was the acting president in 1994 after uh, Russell Dilday uh, left. He had uh, been a biblical backgrounds and archaeology professor there and had a number of students uh, that have really spoken out, you know, but some uh, the the Baptist Press uh, article about this uh, includes um, Jimmy Draper, Charles Stanley, Morris Chapman, Jack Graham, Ronnie Floyd. They, they were his students. I've seen a lot of great tributes from uh, Malcolm Yarnell. Uh, the last couple of weeks about him. He was a, a student of his. I had uh, some other uh, people, some Facebook friends who had studied under him and, and was really seeing just a lot of chatter as as he neared the end of his life. Um, and what incredible tributes, you know, have been have been out there. Uh, so I've seen a lot of articles. Southwestern uh, had a had a release that just spoke very highly of him, had quotes from uh, Dr. Dilday and uh, Dr. Ken Hemphill, um, and as well as the, the Baptist Press article uh, did the same thing. It Really, those are both worth reading just to hear the descriptions uh, about him. Uh, one that I, I really liked was a, a quote from Ken Hemphill talking about his fast-paced lecture style that um, he taught with such speed. Uh, Dr. Hemphill said, they would say if you dropped your pen, you could lose a whole century in his lecture. Uh, so it makes me, you know, kind of sad to uh, to think that I, I've that I, it so it makes makes you sad to think about a whole generation of people that didn't really get to experience that. Um, he he taught you know for years and years. He also had more than fifty interim pastorates, including First Baptist Dallas, First Baptist Houston, um, Prestonwood, and he had a very popular sermon called "The Creation Chance or Choice." Um, he did it. Uh, over over a hundred times, and even just you know this past year, uh, delivered it. So it's very popular. I I need to look that up. That's got to be available online somewhere. You would think. Um, and then he also preached a number of times at the SBC Pastors Conference. So this is someone who, maybe in the last ten fifteen years, we haven't heard a lot about, but he had a massive massive impact on the Southern Baptist Convention you know, first of all, as himself in, in a lot of decades, but also in all the people that he influenced, his imprint is felt. So I really wanted to take this moment and just speak about this week in uh, in SBC history. 
uh, that Bill Tolar has not forgotten. Um, so I, that's what I wanted to talk about this week in SBC history. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot here because we didn't really have this planned. But uh, usually at this point, we do our resources of the week. Uh, any resources that you're looking forward to in 2019, Amy? I'll go first and give you time to kind of get your thoughts together on that because I just sprung this on you. So the resource I'm looking forward to this year is the Gospel Driven Church, Uniting Church Growth Dreams with the Metrics of Grace by Jared C. Wilson. Jared is one of my favorite authors. I read and buy everything that he writes. So I, I got a um, an advanced copy of this just a few weeks ago. It's sitting, I think it's sitting here right here on my desk. That's yeah, right there. Um, and I, uh, I'm looking forward to the, the final version that is coming in 2019. So that's the resource that I know of that's coming in 2019 that I'm looking forward to in 2019. So, uh, Amy, what would be your resource that you're looking forward to in 2019? Well, so mine is not coming. It has just dropped. And that is the uh, God of Covenant study from Jen oh, Wilkin. Yes. That just so dropped. that is a 2019 product. Yeah. So yes, just dropped from Lifeway. Uh, so now that the year has actually started, it isn't. It isn't coming. It's here. Uh, so it's a study of Genesis 12 through 50. Um, I am. A, I. I. I have great appreciation for all that Jen Wilkin does uh, for the church, and I'm. And, and I think this particular study just sounds fabulous. So I want to throw that link out there. They, there was a big launch party. It was a lot of different Lifeway stores and, and things like that. Um, so, so it's, it's a big deal, uh, that Lifeway Women has kind of put out, but I think it, it needs to be, but I think everybody needs to check it out. So, uh, so it starts with Genesis 12, kind of walking alongside Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph goes all the way to the end of uh, the book and to look at how God orchestrates everything for the glory and good of his people. Uh, so very, very cool. It's a 10-session uh, video-based study. And this is kind of a, a second part to her first right. one that was like God of creation. Right, which that, is Genesis that went over 1 to Genesis 11. Genesis 1 to 11, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, Jen Wilkin, get everything that she writes same with Jared Wilson. So Absolutely. Um, I'm going to start going by Jonathan Wilhow. That way I can maybe be a, a better writer since they're Wilkin and Wilson. I'll go by Wilhow. Great. I, I think I'll just stick with Whitfield. It's, clo it's close. It's close. It's close. It is close. Yeah. It is close. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our questions for 2019. If you have any questions that uh, we may have missed that you'd want to know about or, or just want to share with us, do that on the show notes page for the episode or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what your question for 2019 is. And we look forward to a great 2019 with you, our listeners, and look forward to meeting many of you in Birmingham. Hopefully you'll be able to make it down to Birmingham where Amy says she wants 10,000 for Birmingham. So we'll see what happens. And, uh, but uh, you know, we, we appreciate everybody taking the time out to listen to us and to be involved in what's going on in the SBC each and every week here. Thanks again to Southern Seminary for sponsoring this week's podcast as they do every week. And Amy, we'll see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>